Good evening. It's good to see all y'all out there. Um, as Pastor Sean and Sam said, we're picking up with Isaiah 24. It's four chapters, but I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll pick out some select verses as we go along. So if you follow along with me, in uh, 24 verse 1, I'll read the first three. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with the master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The land shall be entirely emptied and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken this word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that we would hear your voice and do it. In Christ's name, amen. So on October 28th, in the year 312 A.D., when Constantine came upon a, military, a militarily superior enemy at the Milovian Bridge, just outside the walls of Rome, he turned for help to the God of the Christians. In a dream, he saw a cross in the sky and the words, in this sign, conquer. This convinced him to advance. After he achieved his brilliant victory over the troops of Maxentius, Max, Maxentius, Constantine looked upon his success as proof of the power of Christ and the superiority of the Christian religion. By 323, Constantine was the sole ruler of the Roman Empire, and the church was everywhere free from persecution. Less than a century later, on August 24, 410, Rome, the eternal city, was captured and sacked by the Visigoth barbarians. So this is the context of Augustine's book, The City of God, that he wrote in 412 AD. He was a bishop in an obscure town of Hippo in North Africa and understood that victory and peace here on earth is not to be found in the city of man, but in the city of God. He wrote this in his introduction. I am undertaking nothing less than the task of defending the glorious city of God against those who prefer their own gods to its founder. I shall consider it both in its temporal stage here below, where it journeys as a pilgrim among sinners and lives by faith, and as solidly established in its eternal abode, that blessed goal for which we patiently hope, until justice be turned into judgment." but which one day is to be reward, the reward of excellence in a final victory and a perfect peace. In Holy Scripture, the king and founder of the city of which I have undertaken to speak revealed to his people the judgment of the divine law. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Hence, insofar as the general plan of the treatise demands and my ability permits, I must speak also of the earthly city, of that city which lusts 
to dominate the world, and which, though nations bend to its yoke, is itself dominated by its passion for dominion. So in our text tonight, the prophet Isaiah would have us to consider these two cities, the city of God and the city of man. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to first talk about the city of man, and I'm going I'm to look at three, in the book of Isaiah, in these four chapters, I'm going to look at three characteristics of the city of man first, and then we'll look at three characteristics of the city of God that are scattered through these four chapters. So follow along with me if you're in your Bibles. First, let's look at the city of man. So Isaiah gives us a description of the city of man. This is one global city where all, all the posterity of Adam dwell. Those in the pews and those in the pulpits, the pre- people and the priests. Those in the homes, the servant and the master, the maid and the mistress. Those in the businesses, the buyer and the seller, the lender and the borrower, the creditor and the debtor. It includes everyone. So the first characteristic I want to look at in the city of man is that it is a city of sin. It's a city of sin. Here's what Isaiah says in 24.5. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. So the inhabitants are characterized as lawless. They have broken the everlasting covenant. Now what covenant is he talking about here? Because the Bible mentions numerous covenants. He's not referring to the Mosaic covenant because he's speaking about the inhabitants of the earth. This includes both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Mosaic covenant was given to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. In addition, the context of this passage is the judgment of all nations, not just the Jews. So, the covenant spoken here is broader and must include both the Jews and the Gentiles. The Bible reveals two broad covenants that God has made with man. The covenant of works and the covenant of grace. Both are everlasting covenants. When God created man, he entered into a covenant of works with him. The condition was perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. This is an everlasting death. In other words, hell. The covenant was made not only with Adam, but with all who are in Adam that descend from him by ordinary generation or birth. When Adam transgressed the law of God, mankind sinned in him and fell with him. We are born sinners. We sin because we are sinners. That's our nature. The city of man is a city of sin because its citizens are sinners who have broken the covenant of works. The other broad covenant in the Bible is the covenant of grace, which God gave to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. This covenant promises everlasting life, or heaven. It was first revealed immediately after the fall in the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. The Mosaic covenant is is a later and fuller revelation of the same covenant of grace. God gave this covenant to Israel through his prophet Moses. It was given to them to reveal their sin, 
their need for salvation and to lead them to the Savior, the promised seed of the woman. Jesus told Nicodemus, now Nicodemus was a, was a ruler of the Jews. Listen to what he tells Nicodemus. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You see, God sent his Son into the city of man, not to condemn it. Jesus came and dwelt in this city because its citizens were already condemned as sinners in the covenant of works. They needed a Savior because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and broken the everlasting covenant. The city of man is a terrible, terrible city to live in. It is filthy. It's a filthy and vile place. Throughout history, men have attempted to clean it up themselves through the use of morality, philosophy, psychology, sociology. They have been successful in whitewashing the outside walls to make the city appear clean. But when the rains descend and the floods come, the things of man are washed away. And the veiled corruption of the city's foundation is exposed. Only to be whitewashed again by the subsequent generation. For you see, in the city of man, man deceives and is deceived. It is a city of confusion. We see this in Isaiah 24:10. The city of confusion is broken down. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. Now the word translated confusion here, if you got an ESV, it's translated waste. I think confusion is a better translation. Is the Hebrew word tohu. It is the same word translated without form in Genesis 1:2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. By his word, God by his word and his spirit brought forth light, order, and life on the earth. Satan, the creator of the city of man, or as the apostle Paul put it, the God of this age, brought forth sin, confusion, and death on the earth. The city of confusion is a city that is broken down. We read in Isaiah 24, 6, the curse has devoured the earth and those who dwell in it are desolate. Its inhabitants are under the curse of the covenant and its guilt. So none of its citizens delights in the law of the Lord. In fact, they all run from it to walk in the counsel of the ungodly and stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the seat of the scornful. In this city, righteousness is rejected, and everyone is willfully blinded to God's revelation of himself. Listen to what Isaiah says in 26.10. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness he will deal unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. 
The residents of this lofty city are separated from God and from each other. They live in isolation. Every house is shut up so that none may go in. They also live in darkness without God and without hope. There is a cry for wine in the streets. All joy is darkened. The mirth of the land is gone. Isaiah 24:11. And they practice deceit. The treacherous dealers have dealt treacherously. Indeed, the treacherous dealers have dealt very treacherously. Isaiah 24:16. The ancient words of Isaiah are applicable to modern man. That's us. If there was one word that I would use to describe the state of the world today, it would be the word Isaiah used, tohu. Let me give you a couple of examples. This is the age of gender confusion. There is a willful refusal to distinguish between a man and a woman. Not only has God's created order for the man and the woman been disordered, but his created anatomy of the man and the woman is being disoriented and their natural desires for one another are being given over to depravity. Let me give you another one. We have witnessed the confusion of justice. Evil is called good, and good is called evil. Partiality is just, impartiality is unjust. The courtroom is the camera, the judge is the reporter, the jury is social media, and the verdict is instantaneous. No witnesses are called, no cross-examination, no careful deliberation. Justice is guilt by accusation. This is to be expected in the city of man, whose mayor has the title, the accuser of the brethren. It's Revelation 12.10. There is confusion in the city of man because there is no law of God. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. Christians should be grieved by this confusion, but not surprised. Moses warned the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 28, 19 through 20. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. Which brings us to our last point of the description of the city of man. The city of man is a city of death. Isaiah writes this, for he brings down those who dwell on high, the lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. Come the judgment day, the proud city of man will perish in accordance with the penalty stipulated in the covenant of works. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. The Lord is faithful to keep his word, both his promise and his curse. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth, for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. That's Isaiah 26, 21. The apostle, oh, yeah, Isaiah 26, 21. So when the last trumpet sounds, the Lord will come to judge the earth. There's nothing hidden 
that will not be revealed. Concealed sin, long buried, will be exposed. And divine impartial judgment will, will be given to each and every man according to his due. For the wages of sin is death. You'll get paid for your sin. The Apostle Paul describes the vision given to him of the final judgment in Revelations 20, 12 through 15. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Joe Beakey writes this. There is a day coming when the Lord will bring this present world to an end. The Christians should always be ready for this by watching and waiting in prayer. We need to diligently observe the days we are living in. The wickedness upon the earth is becoming ripe for harvest. All too suddenly, the Lord will send his angels as reapers into the world, and none shall escape who live unrepentant lives. We've come to the end of the road for the city of man but not the end of the journey for Christian pilgrims. So let's look at the city of God. So Isaiah prophesied also of another city, the city of God. It's not an earthly city like the city of man, but a heavenly city. So the first thing we'll look at, it's a city of glory. Listen to what Isaiah says in 24, 23. Then the moon will be disgraced and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. The Mount Zion and Jerusalem in Isaiah's prophet is the heavenly Jerusalem. John describes it again in the book of Revelation, 21, 9 through 10. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now you go down to, that was uh, 21, 21, 9 through 10. You go down to 21, 23, it says this. The city had no need of sun or of moon to shine it. For the glory of God illuminated, the Lamb is its light. The glory of this city will disgrace the glory of the moon and put the sun to shame. For the glory is the risen Christ the Lord of hosts who reigns on high. He is glorious in his person and in his reign. All the citizens of this city will join in with Isaiah in glorifying his name. Here's what Isaiah says. 
O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and true. For you have made a city a city of ruin, a fortified city of ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Wall, You will reduce the noise of the aliens as heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud. The song of the terrible ones will be diminished. Not only will his people praise his name for his work of mercy, but they will also praise his name in his execution of justice. Those who exalted themselves in the city of man will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted in the city of God. The city of man will be a ruin, a city no more. It shall never be rebuilt. Nothing that seeks to subvert or diminish the glory of Christ will remain. But blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. When the enemies of the gospel seem to have the upper hand, or the struggle with sin wears you down, lift your eyes up in faith to the city of God with great expectations beyond the present day to that glorious day when we shall see the Lord face to face in all his glory reigning in the city of God. On that day, we will declare with Isaiah, O Lord, you are my God. I exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsel of old are faithfulness and truth. David, a king, saw the same thing as Isaiah. He says this, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. So, that brings us to the next point on the city of God. It's a city of joy. Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make all for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of mar- marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Every Sunday, every first Sunday, Yes, it's every first Sunday of every month we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Not in isolation or darkness like the city of man, but together as the body body of Christ in public, broad daylight. Christ instituted the Lord's Supper as a means of grace for his church to strengthen and increase our faith. In it, we feed upon Christ, crucified spiritually through faith, 
receiving all the benefits of his death. Believing what Isaiah prophesied, he swallowed up death forever. Christians are pilgrims, passing through this fallen and sinful world on our way to the celestial city. Persecution, pain, and suffering are part of the journey. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Therefore, when Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, he set this hope before us. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Christ has given us the Lord's Supper so that we will have joy in the difficult journey. For the day will most assuredly come when all that he promised will come to pass. Every believer in Christ will ascend to Mount Zion. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make all, for all people of every tribe and nation a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wine. What a blessed day that will be when death is swallowed up in victory. God will wipe away all tears and believers will feast with Christ. For the city of God is a city of joy for those rejoicing in his salvation. Which brings us to the last point. The city of God is a city of salvation. Isaiah says this in 25.9. And it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The work of salvation is the work of God, not of man. And it's the work of God alone. We have waited for him and he will save us. The Apostle Paul looks, puts it like this in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Every Christian in the city of God is redeemed from the city of man by the blood of Christ. Not because there was anything good in them or of themselves or by their own effort, but solely by the unmerited free gift of God's grace. In this day, in that day, Isaiah writes, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Because salvation is a work of God's pure grace, boasting in ourselves is excluded, but not boasting in the Lord. For the fruit of this grace is thankfulness, and the manifestation of thankfulness is praise. The song that the redeemed sing exalts the impenetrable salvation of God. For inside this city of salvation, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And even though the city of salvation is a strong city with walls and bulwarks, it is the weak, the poor in spirit, who are able to enter it through faith in Christ. When they cry out to him, open the gates, as Isaiah did, that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. So it shall be in that day, the great trumpet will be blown. They will come who are all about to perish in the land of Assyria, and they who are the outcasts of the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of Jerusalem. What a glorious sight that will be. Let me conclude with this. A few words from R.C. Sproul. I got this from a tabletop magazine on Augustine when he was talking about the city of man. Augustine stood by the shores of the Mediterranean. He had heard of the hordes of the barbarians that were moving as a juggernaut against Rome and the empire. The reports were ominous, foreboding, lending little reason for hope of the survival of the Roman culture. Human kingdoms come and go according to the persevering grace of God. The human city is always a monument to human corruption. The endurance of such movement monuments is subject to the patience of the one who will not always strive with man. God simply will not tolerate man's quest for autonomy. His lust for idols of his own making. No city, no nation, no culture can survive the judgment of God. As you see the chaos unfolding around you, I want you to remember to keep your eyes on the city of God, just like those who in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I want to finish with that verse. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they'd been called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for the promises that you give us in your word. We thank you for the warnings that you give us in your word. We do pray, Lord, that we pay heed to your warnings and, warnings and cling to your promises in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.